0: Well, the text for this morning's message is First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nineteen. So you'll go ahead and take your copy of God's word and turn there. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nineteen. And if we have time, we're going to look at Ephesians five eighteen as a cross-reference a little bit later on. So if you want to be prepared to turn there as well, Ephesians five eighteen. First Thessalonians five nineteen is a short verse. It says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. So I want to talk to you this morning on the topic of the sin of quenching the Holy Spirit. Before we delve into that verse, I want to back up and just briefly consider... Um, what has become known as the unpardonable sin. Um, You don't have to turn to that passage, but we read about that in Matthew chapter 12. And in that particular passage, our Lord Jesus Christ has cast a demon out of a man, so he was demon-possessed, he was also blind and mute. So our Lord Jesus Christ delivered him from demonic possession and delivered him from his blindness and muteness, and the crowd was amazed, and they wondered aloud if maybe this man, Jesus of Nazareth, might indeed be the Messiah. But the Pharisees who were witnessing the same event had a very different reaction. They accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, who of course is Satan. I want to uh, just quickly read that account to you and uh, focus on our our Lord's words at the end of the account. Verse 22, it says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitude were amazed and said, could this be the son of David, meaning the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, "'Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he has divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out?' Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, very important, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And we drop down a few verses to verse 31. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Uh, very sobering words from our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit of God is an unforgivable sin. And so we refer that as, uh, to that as the unpardonable sin. Um, again, what they had done was Jesus had cast out a demon by the Holy Spirit, but they accused him of casting out a demon by the most unholy of spirits, Satan himself. Now, many believers, including me, have at some point in their walk, uh, have, have been terrified that they might have committed this, this unpardonable sin a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, this message is not about chapter 12, so we don't have time to delve into it, but um, suffice it to say that just about every reliable biblical commentator, scholar, theologian, pastor that I've ever read or heard concludes that this sin is one that is committed by unbelievers, not by believers. So the unpardonable sin is one that is committed by unbelievers, but that doesn't mean that there's not something for believers to take out of that passage. Um, There certainly is, that a a believer does not commit the unpardonable sin should not make us lax, and it should not make us dismissive of our our Lord's warning, um, just because it's not a sin that a saved person commits Um, On the contrary, I submit to you that it should make us even more sensitive and cautious and reverent. Uh, We ought to be deeply impacted by the seriousness of sinning against the Holy Spirit. And that'll kind of transition us into the uh, into First Thessalonians five: nineteen, but uh, let us remember Chris was mentioning in our opening hymn that it's a Trinitarian hymn. Um, our God is one, but He exists in three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. We should never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He is a He, He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. Um, this is a mystery, but it is taught from the very beginning. You'll remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And we get to the creation of man in verse 26, and God said, let us make a man in our image after our likeness. You hear the plurality there. Let us make a man in our image after our likeness. Father, Son, and Spirit, one God. You go to the New Testament, the baptismal formula in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says in the go, in the Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is Is God so? God exists in three persons. There is the unity, but each person has some specific roles. For example, it is the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and died on the cross. The Father did not die on the cross. The Spirit did not die on the cross. The, the, The the Son died on the cross. Well, the Holy Spirit has some specific ministries as well. He applies the work of the second person, Christ to his people. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about regeneration and convinces, uh, convinces the person of sin and of the truth of the gospel and leads and enables him to repent of his sins and place his faith in Christ. He seals the believer. He indwells the believer, as we saw in John chapter 14. Jesus said, he will dwell with you and be in you. And it is in the believer that he, he uh, has a lifelong ministry of leading, guiding, convicting, comforting, empowering and producing spiritual fruit in his life so that he becomes increasingly like Christ, as we saw a couple weeks ago in Romans 8, 29. So the Holy Spirit is in the believer. He is the presence of God in, in the believer. And so it's vitally important that we respond to him and relate to him the correct way. Well, we saw earlier, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a sin unique to unbelievers, but the Scripture warns us that even believers can sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, any sin against God is a sin against all three persons, but there are some sins that are are presented in scriptures uh, Scripture as being directed against the Spirit directly, and 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is one where we are told, do not quench the Spirit. So let's consider this morning what it means, do not quench the Spirit. I'll spend the first part of the message um, answering the question, what is meant by quenching the spirit? What does that mean, do not quench the spirit? Well, let's think about the word quench. It means to extinguish or to put out. Now, in our our modern English usage, quench is used um, most often in relation to thirst. Uh, We're thirsty So we take a drink and we, we quench our thirst, right? That's how we, that's how we normally use the word quench. We satisfy our desire for, for water or, or liquid. So the idea is to extinguish that thirst, uh, to neutralize that thirst. But quench also means to put out a fire. It means to put out a fire. So you uh, you add water to a fire, you you put it out, you d- you douse it, you moisten it. Uh, so you see the connection with, uh, with with quenching thirst. Now, the Greek word that is translated quench here, it is used in the New Testament exclusively to putting out fires. Okay, let me say that again. The Greek word that is translated quench here is used in, in New Testament exclusively to putting out a fire. Um, we find it in uh, in a very sobering verse. Um, in Mark 9, when our our Lord is teaching about hell, he says, it is where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So the fires of hell, the fires of the lake of fire are never quenched. They are never, never put out. But what, uh, when we, so when we think about Quenching being to put out or to let go out, what's the application to the Spirit? How do we quench the Spirit? Well, In an effort to ascertain the meaning, let's uh, let's continue on and and consider how the Holy Spirit is pictured in Scripture, how He's represented. Um, This is key to understanding uh, the meaning of the verse. Um, What are the representations of the Spirit in the Scripture? And what I mean is, uh, by example, we think of our Lord Jesus. Um, He is represented or pictured as the door, the vine, we're we're the branches. Um, He is pictured as the bread of life. Or the shepherd. Um, these are picturing, uh, helping us to understand who he is and what he does. Well, what are some of the representations of the script, of the, of the the spirit? Um, well, we would think about the dove. Um, he is represented as a dove. If you remember Jesus' baptism, John saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a dove. Um, we think about wind. Um, the Greek word that is translated spirit, pneuma, is also sometimes translated wind or breath. Um, pneumonia is a lung condition, right? A breathing problem. Pneumonia, you can hear that word in there. A, a pneumatic tool is a tool that's powered by compressed air. Uh, so the Holy Spirit um, is sometimes pictured as, as wind. Um, in John chapter 3, Verse 8, that's the chapter where Christ is teaching Nicodemus about being born again by the Spirit. John, uh, verse 8 says, "...the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit." So he is pictured as wind. And you'll remember on Pentecost Day when the Holy Spirit came upon the, the disciples. Remember there were signs, um, and one of them was, was the mighty rushing wind um picturing that the spirit had come upon the the uh, the disciples so he's pictured as a dove wind he's also pictured as fire fire um, Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So the Holy Spirit is connected with fire. And going back to Pentecost, when when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, um, they speak in tongues, foreign languages. Uh, they They hear the mighty rushing wind. And remember the third sign? The tongues of fire on their head. So we see that the Holy Spirit is connected with fire. Now, why is that? Well, God himself is connected with fire. Hebrews 12.29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. And you think about what fire pictures. Uh, It pictures judgment, punishment, uh, the lake of fire. It also pictures purity and holiness. And so God's Spirit is the Holy Spirit as opposed to the unholy or unclean spirits. So let's, let's have in our mind this connection of the Holy Spirit with fire or that He is represented by fire as we try to answer this question of what it means to quench the Spirit. Now, obviously, it should go without saying that we don't put out the Holy Spirit. He is God. I mean, that would be absurd. We're not talking about quenching or extinguishing His person or His or His attributes, or or somehow you and I have control over the Spirit. That that would be absurd and 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 and, and uh, almost touches on slander. That would not be what we're referring to. So, what the verse is referring to is this: it regards the work or the influence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So what it means is do not quench the work or the influence of the Holy Spirit. And again, not that we're sovereign over his, even his work or influence, but uh, as we begin to look at this a little bit more in depth, I, I trust it'll become clear what we're talking about here. So when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. I already mentioned some of that in the introduction, but uh, if you are a Christian, if you're born again, you're saved, uh, you probably didn't realize it when you got saved, but you were responding to the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that regenerated you. He's the one that caused you to be born again. And he is the one who convinced you of the truth of the gospel and, con- and brought you under conviction of your sins and, and enabled you to repent of your sins and to place your faith in Christ. And he sealed you. He put Christ's mark on you as it, w- as it was that, uh, that you now belong to Christ. And he indwelt you. He literally lives within you. And first, Corinthians 3.16, Paul wrote, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, he, he dwells in us as individuals and collectively as, as the living temple of God, as the church. So, he lives in us and he continues to carry out his ministry. Now, uh, keeping the idea of fire in mind, let's, uh, let's consider what fire does. Fire provides light. Right, It it provides light. In ancient times, they would uh, light a torch or or light a lamp. There was a lamp that was to continually burn. It was to never go out in the the tabernacle and later on the temple. So we have the picture of light. And the Holy Spirit enlightens us or illumines us. The illumination of the Holy Spirit is a phrase you may hear sometimes. And what that means is that he leads us into a greater knowledge of God. Um, he is the one who inspired the writers of Scripture. So the Holy Spirit is is, is the person of the Trinity who inspired the writers to write Scripture. And, and as you and I read and study it and meditate a, uh, on it, the Holy Spirit works in us, opening up our minds and our understanding that we might comprehend the Word, understand the meaning, and that we might apply it, that we might see how it needs to be applied in our lives. So as fire provides light, the Holy Spirit provides light. He enlightens us in regard to the Word. Number two, He increases our love for God and others. And uh, relating back to the fire, a fire not only provides light, it provides warmth. And the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in us trying to warm our affection for God and for others. Uh, we think of the passage, the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, what He produces in the life of a believer, the fruit of the Spirit is love. First thing, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You remember that passage? So you got love as the first thing. That's the primary thing. The great commandments, as Christ gave us, to love God and love people and so the holy spirit it goes about in, in, increasing our love for god um, that we might have warm uh, growing affection for god and and for others and joy in the lord the second second fruit was joy uh most of us uh, uh, me included you build a fire in the fireplace on a cold winter's night it's just it's there's something about it that cheers you up um a fire can bring cheer and joy So we had illumination brings light, um warmth increases our love for god and others number 3 fire purifies it refines and purifies metal you know in ancient days and even now you build a hot fire put the metal in it it melts it it it, it brings the impurities to the surface it's skimmed off so it purifies and refines metal and that is that is used that that very picture is used in scripture uh to to illustrate the process of of uh, uh, Purification. The Holy Spirit, again, He applies the work of Christ, so He makes us holy and blameless in the sight of God in our position, but He goes about to produce in us holiness of, of, of life in practice. That's what we call sanctification. Again, going back to what we looked at two weeks ago, the process of increasingly becoming more like our Lord Jesus Christ. God said, be holy, for I am holy. And so the Holy Spirit has a work of sanctification in our lives. So He draws us to and illuminates God's Word uh, uh, for us. Um, he, He prods us. He speaks to our conscience. He empowers us to resist temptation and to obey God. And when we fall, which we do... He will lead us, He will convict us of sin and lead us to repentance and restore us. So He goes about this process of sanctifying and purifying us, and we are to humbly submit to that work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, I hope at this point um, we're all beginning to understand what it means to not quench or extinguish the Spirit. Again, we're not to quench His work, His ministry, His influence in, in our lives. And uh, again, this, can, this is something that cannot go on forever because if we do quench the Spirit, He will at some point be forced to discipline us and get us back on track. So that's the answer to the question. I took a long way getting there, but quenching the Spirit means quenching or extinguishing His work, ministry, and influence in our lives. We are commanded, don't do that. Well, the next thing we're going to consider is ways that we do commit the sin of quenching the Holy Spirit. This would be point number two, just two basic points for the message. So we need to learn, we need to be aware of ways that we do find ourselves quenching the Spirit so that we can avoid doing that. Um, before before I go into these ways that we quench the Spirit, I, I do think I need to stop and say right here that there are some commentators that see quenching the Spirit as virtually the same thing as the next verse, which is verse 21, excuse me, verse 20, do not despise prophecies or prophesying. There's some that very tightly put those two together and say that we quench the Spirit by despising prophesying, and they would point out that in the New testament days the uh, those churches did not have the complete canon of scripture, and so god would uh, would would gift certain members of the church with the gift of prophecy, and they would stand up and give a word from the lord and so they would they say that when Paul says, "Do not quench the spirit," he means don't despise those prophecies well I, I think there's probably something to say for that. Uh, although I would say that I am a cessationist, I do not believe that God gives that gift today. Um, I think there's a lot more relevance and a lot more involved in quenching the Spirit than in just despising prophecies. We certainly shouldn't do that, but there's a lot more involved in it. Well, let's go back to the idea of quenching a fire. How do you quench a fire? How do you, how do you extinguish a fire? Well, I'm going to take a a picture from camping, even if you don't like to camp. Um, you know a little bit about camping and you know camping almost always involves having a campfire. Um, I've done a little bit of camping in my life. I've gone to develop sites. I've also done the backcountry camp, camping. And almost always when you go to a campsite, there's a ring of rocks there. And that's so you can build your campfire. So if you would kind of get the idea of a campfire in, in your mind and uh, a campfire, it provides light. It provides warmth. Um, it provides for you to be able to, to cook. Um, it, it also provides for you to be able to purify water. Um, if you go to a backcountry campsite and all you've got is a creek, uh, you're going to have to purify that water before you can drink it, so you can boil that water over your campfire and now it's it's okay to, to drink. Now, um, there are two basic ways to extinguish a campfire. One, you can be active about it and throw water or dirt on it. to to quench it, to extinguish it, or you can just not add anything to it. Don't add any fuel to it, and eventually it will go out. So one of those is active, and one of those is passive. You can either put it out, or you can let it go out. Now, let's consider that in the spiritual realm, two things. You and I can find ourselves committing the, the sin of quenching the Holy Spirit by uh actively, by dousing or smothering the fire he 's seeking to build in our lives, um, that the, the word quench" is used in that active sense in a good way in ephesians six sixteen you 'll remember the armor of God, um, Paul says above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, so Satan is shooting his fiery darts at us. We've got a shield, and that shield puts them out. I understand back then they would sometimes uh, dip their shields in water. If it was a wooden shield, and it would put out those those darts. So that's an active uh, putting out of a of a fire. So with a campfire, you can put it out with water or dirt. And of course, with a campfire, when you leave, you're supposed to put it out. You're to quench that fire. Remember Smokey the Bear, only you can prevent forest fires. So a responsible camper, when he or she leaves camp, you put that fire out. You throw water on it or dirt on it. However, you and I are to never quench the fire of the Holy Spirit. We are to never quench the fire of the Holy Spirit. Um, and sadly, one of the ways that we do that um, would be to persist in known, recognized sin. If you and I persist in known, recognized sin, either by being unrepentant or by not having a serious, determined commitment to address it, we are quenching the work, the influence, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's like we're throwing water, or dirt would probably be a better, a better application or better word in this sense because... Because sin is dirty and filthy. And so if you and I persist in sin, it's like we're throwing dirt on the fire of the, of the Holy Spirit. Now let's quickly address a few types of sin that would quench the Spirit's work in us. This is only a sample. Let's just stay in 1st Thessalonians, consider some of the sins that Paul addressed here. Go back to chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. 4, 3 through 8, which is uh, dealing with sexual sin. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel or his body in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness." Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So if we are engaged in sexual immorality... We are despising God, and we are quenching His Spirit. This would include any form sins of the heart and mind, um, like indulging lustful thoughts, viewing sexually explicit images, listening to sexually explicit music, or reading sexually explicit literature. Any of that comes under under what Paul's talking about there in First Thessalonians chapter four. We shouldn't do it. It quenches the work of the Holy Spirit, among many other horrible things. Um, what about laziness? Chapter verse 11. Uh, Paul says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Um, There's an old saying, it's not in scripture, but I think it's scriptural. Idleness is the tool of the devil. When you and I are undisciplined and we have unstructured time, that's just like, that's bad. That's bad. Satan can use that and exploit us. Um, we, We cannot afford to be passive. We must be active. We must be disciplined. Um, We need to understand there is an urgency in life. Um, Something's wrong if a Christian's bored. Um, There's plenty to do. There's more prayers to pray, more scripture to read, more unsaved people to win to the gospel. Um, So we need to be careful for laziness. Um, What about drunkenness? Look at chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. There's that theme of light again, by the way. You're sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So a drunkenness um, can can quench or will quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and turn briefly to Ephesians 5.18 and look at that. Uh, that is another reference to the Holy Spirit. You're probably familiar with it. Ephesians 5.18, it says, "And Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine which is dissipation but be filled with the the spirit um i i think this includes anything that can cloud our minds you know and and cause us to be in a drunken state uh, drugs would might be included in this or maybe other things if we are abusing our bodies if we are losing control of our minds, making ourselves insensible, we're, we're losing control, we're endangering our well-being and the well-being of others, and we are quenching the Holy Spirit. So the remedy is to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me say, um, there is a great deal of error um, in regard to a lot of the interpretations of this verse. When Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, he's not talking about some second work of grace. He's not talking about some ecstatic experience or being slain in the Spirit, which is often how this verse is presented. The key to the meaning of Ephesians 5.18 is in the comparison with drunkenness. Uh, when a person is drunk, he is under the power and the influence of alcohol. In fact, we have that that abbreviation, DUI, right? Driving under the influence, okay? So when a person is drunk with alcohol, he is under the power and the influence of alcohol, and it was voluntary. I I guess somebody might be forced to drink, but uh, usually it's voluntary. He willingly drank to excess, and he suffers the consequences. So he, in effect, gives up control. He loses control. Now, in a good way, in a good way, we're to be filled with the Spirit. So we're to be under His power and influence. You see the, the compare how the comparison gives us the meaning of the verse. Don't be under the power and influence of alcohol by getting drunk. Be under the power and influence of the of the Holy Spirit. So that uh that that helps us hopefully to understand. Uh, what uh, the comparison there with, uh, with drunkenness. Now, these are just a sample of the sins that when we tolerate them, when we indulge in them, when we fail to deal with them, that they quench the Spirit. But there are plenty of others. Paul addresses evil speech. He addresses anger and bitterness, especially with the Ephesians. A proud, unsubmissive, unteachable spirit. Um, worldliness, listen, too much entertainment um, will quench the Spirit. I'm not talking about legalism. Legal will quench the spirit, but we need to watch what we watch. Be be wary of what we watch and we listen to and read because if we're not careful, those kinds of things can, can quench the spirit. And one other caution before we move on. I do not mean to imply that the spirit in his work is only hindered by big sins. Any sin that you and I are aware of in our lives that we are refusing to repent of and deal with will hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, If you've never read the book, Respectable Sins, by Jerry Bridges, um, it's a great book, and be prepared to be convicted. Be prepared to be convicted. Respectable Sins, by Jerry Bridges. He's with the Lord now, but that's a great book. So, we put out the fire of the Holy Spirit, or His work, by dousing it with sin. That's how we actively quench the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. Put out the campfire. Don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. But just as you can put out a campfire by throwing water and dirt on it, you can also let it go out by failing to put fuel on it. And that's also how we can put out the fire of the Holy Spirit, by failing to add fuel to it. You've got to keep adding fuel to a fire if you want the fire to continue. And if you want it to burn brighter and hotter, you've got to put more fuel on it. There's a spiritual application there. You've got to add fuel to the fire. If not, it'll eventually go out. You remember the the parable of the wise and foolish virgins? The foolish virgins didn't bring extra oil with them, and the bridegroom delayed his coming, and their oil ran out. Matthew 25, 8, the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. You've got to add oil. You've got to add fuel. What's our spiritual fuel? Well, quickly, several things. The first two are the most important, or they're the foundation. Prayer. Prayer is fuel for the fire. Prayer. Um, Paul says in that same group of verses there in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, "...pray without ceasing." Pray without ceasing. We need to make prayer a regular part of our lives. We need to pray daily. Uh, I implore you, if you're not praying daily, if you're not having daily devotions, make that part of your life. Someone once said that a Christian never rises above his prayer life, and that's true. If you fail in prayer, you fail as a Christian. And Satan, uh, Satan, I think, well, he will fight us on that perhaps more than anything else, is to try to keep us away from the throne of grace. We've got to be in regular, consistent prayer. Pray without ceasing. It's fuel to the fire. It's how we connect to God. It's how we communicate with God. It's how we commune and fellowship with Him. If we're not praying, you can mark it down, we're growing cold. The fire is going out if we are not praying. Number two, the Word of God. That's fuel. The Spirit-inspired Scripture. We've got to be in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, if you are a genuine believer, He is drawing you to this Word that He inspired. He inspired, He gave us this Word, and He draws us to this Word so that we can be fed spiritually and, and, and so that the fire can burn brighter. Um, it's part of the cleansing process. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way or any believer? By taking heed according to your word. And Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, John 17.17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so as you and I are in the word of God and the Holy Spirit opens up our minds to the meaning and application, we are increasingly sanctified. We, it, it helps us to, to live a godly life and to be more Christ-like to the glory of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So don't neglect prayer and don't neglect word, the Word. They go together. Uh, set out a time every day to be in prayer and in the Word of God. If you're not in those things, none of these other, other things matter because that's the basis, that's the foundation. You need to throw the fuel of prayer and the Word of God at the fire the Holy Spirit's trying to build under you. Very quickly, some other things. Worship, what you're doing today, gathering with the saints to worship, to fellowship, to give, to sing, to listen to the preached Word and the taught Word. Um, evangelism, we need to be involved in evangelism. Um, Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. So the Holy Spirit uh, is given to us in part that we might proclaim the gospel to others. Another would be service. Um, s- some commentators have already kind of hit on this. They think that this command, quench not the Spirit, has particular reference to the use of spiritual gifts. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift or gifts that are to be used in service to God's people. And so if you're not using those gifts, you are quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, be careful that that um, you are using your gifts to the glory of God and the good of the church. So these are things that uh, that we do. I don't really like the the word cooperate because it makes it sound like we're equal to the Holy Spirit, but we in a way are cooperating with the Holy Spirit um, and his what He is going about to do in our lives, when we are praying, when we are reading and meditating upon Scripture and receiving the preached and taught Word when we're worshiping, when we're evangelizing, when we're serving, all of these things, you're throwing fuel on that fire. You're keeping it going in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. And the idea is to get it hotter and brighter all the time. We need to constantly be doing that. Perhaps you remember I referred to it earlier. There was uh, the, the lamp in the in the tabernacle in the temple. And do you know that that was to that they were to never let it go out? Exodus twenty seven twenty says, and you shall command the children of Israel, talking to Moses, God talking to Moses, you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. It was to never go out. And there's a picture there for you and I. We are to not to quench the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever let it go out. Avoid sin through his power and throw fuel on the fire through prayer, the word, worship, evangelism, service, and the other things that God has appointed for our sanctification. Matthew Henry wrote, He, the Holy Spirit, worketh as fire by enlightening, enlivening, and purifying the souls of men. We must be careful not to quench this holy fire. As fire is put out by withdrawing fuel, so we quench the Spirit if we do not stir up our spirits and all that is within us to comply with the motions of the good Spirit. And as fire is quenched by pouring water or putting a great quantity of dirt upon it, so we must be careful not to quench the Holy Spirit by indulging carnal lusts, affections, or minding only earthly things. So don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit. That's a sober warning to God's people. It is a great sin that we sin against the third person if we're quenching his work, ministry, and influence in our lives. You know, when we sometimes when we see a, a man or a woman or a young person who is, godly and passionate about God and his kingdom and and just loves God and his people we say and that man is on fire for God that woman is on fire for God that teenager is on fire for God well indeed the Holy Spirit is setting about to light a fire under all of us to get us on fire for God I'm not talking about emotionalism although our emotions need to be involved but uh sometimes that's just built on emotion. There's no solid foundation there. That's why we've got to be in the Word. But in the best sense, we need to be on fire for God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's trying to light a fire under us. We should not resist it. Um, Maybe there's someone here, you have been, as I have seen in my life, where the fire started to let it burn low. Uh, Maybe that's where you are today. Um, you've let it burn low because maybe you're refusing to deal with sin and you, you know it. It's in your life, but you're refusing to deal with it or, or maybe you're trying, but you're not going about it the way the word prescribes. A lot of times we're sincere about wanting to overcome sin, uh, but we do have to learn about, uh, the process for doing that. Um, but maybe you're just ignoring it, not dealing with it. Or maybe you have failed to throw fuel on the fire. You're not engaged in some great sin, although it is a great sin to not be in prayer in the Word, of course. But uh, understand the Holy Spirit would lead you to recognize that and repent of it. And He'll give you help to overcome it. Um, John 14 that we read earlier, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter. The Greeks had Two words for another, another of a different type and another of the same type. And this was another of the same type because the Holy Spirit was God too. I'll send you another helper, another comforter, the King James says. He comes and he comforts. He, he, he assures us of God's love for us. He assures us that when we confess, that we're cleansed and we're restored and he'll give us the strength and grace that we need to move forward in that process of sanctification. So let's stop grieving the Spirit. Let's stop quenching the Holy Spirit and look to Him to help us to live in a way that is pleasing to Him and that makes us more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for giving us Your Holy Spirit. We confess that there are oftentimes that we sin against Him by grieving Him and quenching Him. And we We do ask your forgiveness today, Lord. We, too often we don't think about the great gift of your Holy Spirit who literally lives in us to guide us and to comfort us and to strengthen us. So please help us, Lord, to, um, to joyfully submit to his work in our lives that we become more like Christ your beloved Son, in whom you are well pleased. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.